Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor. I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm actually pretty knackered, mate. It's been uh, it's been a long day. We've had uh, we had a little lunch party, which extended into the evening. We had uh, some guests, which just left. Yeah, I feel like I timed my arrival pretty well. You did. You didn't do any of the house cleaning. I got here at, I think it was 1pm, and the guests were arriving by 2pm, which was a real blow to me when I arrived, because I assumed <laughs> they'd arrive at 1pm and I would arrive. <laughs> just as dinner dock. was big, sir. So. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was going to swoop in with the lemons and the creme fraiche that ah, you yeah. messaged me to, to bring over. <laughs> So I was feeling pretty smug. But you had to do about an hour of cleaning. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, how was the morning? It was rough, mate. It was rough. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, did I do some groceries? I did some groceries yesterday and then I had to do some more groceries today. Then I had to do some cleaning. Yeah, it was fine, you know. All in a, all in a, day, in a day's work. How are you doing? You've uh, had your first full week of unemployment. Is that right? First full week of unemployment. Yeah. Um, it's been supremely unproductive. Really? Um, I, I'm quite, I'd love to dig into this. You did a good tweet. Um... I can't remember the exact phraseology, but it was something along the lines of you're actually less productive on the on the YouTube stuff now than you were when you had a full time job distracting you from it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's been okay. I feel like there's been a bit of a confounding factor because I've been quite ill this week. Oh, um, so since like Tuesday of this week, uh, I've had like a really bad cough and I was feeling feverish. Pro- probably associated with the fact that on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it was like super super hot as well. Mm. Um, but I was convinced that I might have uh, coronavirus. And so I got myself tested on like Friday and, you know, that came back negative. So it's all good. You were kind of disappointed that it came back negative, I was, weren't you? I'd, mate, I'd filmed the whole testing procedure. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, this would have been a good a good video. I was planning the thumbnail already, just like me looking absolutely destitute. So with like, I, I was going to Photoshop fake some like sort of, I don't know, like my face to look more like flushed and erythematous than it usually is. And oh, right. I, I, I've been planning all this out for the mm. thumbnail. Yeah, yeah. And then the freaking test comes back negative. It's like how uh, the day the day before like uh, election results, all the newspapers, they, they like prepare both versions of the next morning's front page. Like it, exactly. <laughs> Trump wins and Hillary wins. Exactly that, just in case. Yeah. So it came back negative. So I've lost that piece of content uh as potential outside of the content were you kind of hoping for it just for a bit of like excitement or drama or something um no i i i wasn't really at all i i I think had it come back positive i would have felt better about the entirely unproductive way i'd spent that week because i just like couldn't really bring myself to do anything work-wise and i don't know i don't like being the sort of person who's like oh well i'm ill therefore i should take a break right right. (laughs) because that just seems like you know (laughs) The, the the standard thing to do whereas what i thought is you know uh, i should i should be more productive here but then i was i was just like very generally lethargic and spent about 30 hours listening to audible uh, this week nice okay speaking of audible mm. this episode is brought to you by brilliant <laughs> <laughs> uh what is brilliant table uh brilliant is the best way to teach yourself anything mathsy online so maths computer science physics it really is very good it's not like school stuff it's uh really focuses on helping you develop real understanding and intuition I say this every time, but I, I really do mean it. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's actually looked looked at with um, respect by the maths community mm. that you uh, consider yourself to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, the, math, the maths community, the, the maths education community in particular, uh, in which I'm in, embedded. Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great service. How, how can listeners capitalize on this offering? Well, listeners can capitalize on this offering and indirectly thereby allow us to capitalize on the offering (laughs) (laughs) by visiting brilliant.org forward slash not overthinking. And the first 200 people to hit that URL will get 20% off the annual premium subscription. It's very reasonably priced. You can teach yourself like really good, good stuff about maths, computer science, physics, problem solving, all that good jazz. Great stuff. Big thank you to Brilliant. Yeah. So So I've been listening to a load of Audible this week. (laughs) 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 I've been just like blitzing through the Wheel of Time series. Yeah. And I'm on the final book now, and I'm going to be so sad when it ends because it's just Eight. so good. It's the whole like audiobook thing is like like imagine Im- imagine something like Naruto, which is like you know 600 episodes worth of, yeah. of thingy. But imagine having that experience over an extended period of time while you're doing other things. Yeah, yeah. there is like nothing that beats that. Like mm. for me to get into Bleach right now, I'd have to devote 
weeks and weeks of my life just sitting in front of a TV yeah. watching Bleach. Yeah. But, you know, any any audiobook series, oh, it's just so good. Yeah, I've been doing a bit of audiobooking this week myself. I've, I've now listened to the um, a little-known saga called uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> I've listened to the first two Harry Potter audiobooks. Oh, the, the, the Stephen Fry ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How the, are they? The narration is good. Hmm. I just think, like, I just find it a bit underwhelming, man. Like, I've seen... I've seen the movies. I know what happens. It just feels it's it's quite comfortable, just like reminiscing and kind of hearing a story that I already know. So it's not it's not super engaging to us. I don't know if I'm going to listen to the third, fourth, fifth. I've read the sixth and seventh books. Okay. Well, I mean, I've got three years worth of fantasy audiobook recommendations. If you would, yeah, <laughs> consider maybe, listening to fiction. Maybe each try one of those. But yeah, I, I do find that if I have something I'm looking forward to listening to, I'm much more likely to. Um, you know take out the trash and do the dishes and all these things because then it's like oh sick yeah i can listen to my audiobook <laughs> yeah mate like i've <laughs> it's, i think like back in the day i used to regard any time not spent on the computer as being unproductive now i regard any time not spent on the computer or not listening to an audiobook as being unproductive mm. so i've expanded my my horizons nice. a little bit it's good time. to see that you're growing yeah <laughs> i think I'm, I'm growing a lot as a person in, in in that regard right so back to your lack of productivity so are you really just like chalking it all down to the fact that you were unwell um i'm chalking a large majority of it down to the fact that i was unwell what's your mindset like with regards to the youtube stuff now because i you know personal anecdotes i definitely found that when when causal was my naughty little side project that i was doing on the evenings and weekends we need to get over your recent phrasing phraseology (laughs) (laughs) spank me daddy i've been a bad boy naughty little side project I don't know what you've been doing in your spare time, but this is this is problematic. Turn that Slack notification off. I hate, um, I hate that sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, back when I didn't think of causal as, as my work, it was, uh, I think I had, a, I had a different mindset. I'd always be itching to, to like, oh man, I, I could sneak another like half an hour, an hour of like causal in. Whereas now, for example, like for the past couple of days, you know, I've been, ah, we need to, we need to sort out our documentation for causal. We get lots of messages and emails saying like hey man like the documentation's out of date the product's cool but like the documentation's out of date got lots of people asking us the same question of like oh how does this thing work and so it's now like long overdue that we start the documentation and i've kind of been being very like slow and and sort of putting it off as much as i can because if obviously writing this documentation feels like work and in my head causal is now work and so now i try and sneak off away from causal <laughs> <laughs> so you sit in the bathroom for an hour watching david dobrik or... well i've got my nintendo switch lights in the bathroom oh, so that's my switch time. yes i saw that you've been putting the switch on top of the bathroom bin yes <laughs> <laughs> very hygienic but i'm sure that's fine yeah so like you know back when when the doctor thing was your work and the youtube thing was your um your mistress if you will <laughs> Like, how is it now? Like, you know. Yeah, it kind of feels like work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know to what extent that is just the the, the feeling of it, uh, kind of of me being unwell. But I think it definitely now does feel a lot like work. Mm. Like, I had to really talk myself into filming yesterday's video, which which I filmed because I was like, okay, now we've got to get this video out on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, we were even planning to have a video out on Friday and on Sunday of this week. But I kind of decided that, huh, I'm ill. Who cares? It's fine. Yeah. And like, ironically, the subscriber growth has been better than it ha- than it would have been. Oh, nice. <laughs> had, I, had, I, had I published these videos. <laughs> so uh, it's really starting to make me think that in a way, like, what am I really opt- optimizing for? Yeah. What's the game that I'm playing? Yeah. <laughs> what are the victory conditions of that game? You know, my usual spiel that I give to medical students, I'm now having to turn on myself. Right. Yeah, I think the like the feeling like work thing is bizarre. And I think it's all these stupid societal narratives, you know, about like work and life and the, you know, these being like separate things or whatever. Like it's just it's absolutely bizarre, but I think it is it is a weird framing that definitely holds me back and it seems like it's sort of affecting you as well. Yeah, it's like <coughs> it's like for example, it, like I, I I have no qualms about for example, you know, staying up till 10, 11 midnight like doing some coding or designing a website or writing a video script and, and stuff back when it was my hobby as opposed to when it was my work mm. but now that is now but but now that it's now my work i kind of think you know I, I get to like 8 9 p.m i'm like oh you know i i've had a good day i can have a break <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then i will just kind of do nothing or just like sit on the sofa doing an online course and brilliant org forward slash not overthinking mm. um do something completely unproductive and i feel like if i just have the mentality of you know as as long as I continue to enjoy it, then just continue doing the thing. I feel like I'd probably 
have have more of a positive time of it rather than thinking okay it's 8 p.m i should now get into my wind down time and now mm. i should do something that isn't obviously not work mm. so i don't know it's a bit of a weird one I, I, i've still only had it for about a week so just we need some more data a, bit, a few more data points to yeah yeah uh something that i've been something that i've kind of been thinking about i mean it's very it's very much related to the conversation we had with paul what was it last week or two weeks ago or something mm. Paul Millard, you should definitely check that episode out. It was about like the concept of leisure, you know, like true true leisure or whatever. Um, I think I read I read a tweet that someone quote, <laughs> which was uh, something like, you know, when we, you know, if, if you're like working and you want to take a break from work, you can watch like an hour of you know an hour of YouTube. You can watch like two hours of YouTube, and you still won't really feel refreshed. You still will feel like you know it'll be like two two hours of alleged relaxation and you will feel surprisingly unrefreshed whereas if your break is 15 minutes of sitting there and doing nothing and just like thinking about stuff uh, that 50 after that 15 minutes you will feel like that was great you know I, i want to get back to work um and so i think there's something around like active leisure you know uh and i feel like a, you know a lot of the the doom scrolling and and stuff like that it's it's sort of like passive leisure which isn't actually that enriching so for example my my new mistress is um is like trying to trying to read more about this a couple of topics that i'm sort of interested in where i've you know found some like pdfs and books and things and so that's the thing of like oh yeah i can i can get back to my laptop i can open up rome and i can start like reading this pdf and making notes and stuff that's like that's like my new mistress and um it if we really have to work on the frame <laughs> it's um it definitely feels better than me taking like youtube breaks and things like that and it I think, I mean, yeah, the thing you said of like, oh, well, you know, when I'm winding down, I have to now do something that doesn't feel like work. What is that? Like, what kind of leisure is that? Um, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I rarely feel the need to wind down, but I feel like I should feel the need to wind down because of the societal narrative around it's okay to take a break and, you know, hustle culture is toxic and all, all this sort of stuff. Hmm. And so, yeah, I feel like unless I've sort of actively written the day off and I'm like, you know what? this is fine i'm gonna order takeaway and i'm just gonna lie on the sofa for the next six hours listening to the wheel of time series on audible that is very refreshing because it's the sort of like guilt-free relaxation whereas the okay i'm gonna take a break i thought i feel like if i've had a good day of work if i if i if i feel like i've been productive during the daytime then i have no qualms about kind of stopping the work because i will have gotten a reasonable amount done but like for example these past couple of days i've been waking up at like 10 a.m 11 a.m kind of making a coffee having breakfast then it's noon and then i'm like oh well i guess it's time for lunch now warm up lunch <laughs> watch some hunter x hunter or random youtube videos and then i'm like okay it's one o'clock i'm feeling kind of tired let me just go on the sofa and scroll for a bit mm. then i freaking discover facebook videos have you seen how addictive facebook video is now no I haven't it's 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 sort of like tiktok in that you it's it's just like vertical Swipe scrolling it, yeah. through it there's two specific genres of Facebook videos that I've been addicted to. One is clips from the Graham Norton show. Oh, mate. <laughs> it's really good. The other one is t- uh, t- um, clips from uh, the ATP tennis. <laughs> What's ATP? ATP is like one of those like tennis tournament type things. But it's like, you know, Roger Federer's 10 best shots or... Oh, that kind of stuff. Kind okay. of best shots from Wimbledon 2012. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And I, I, I spent like an hour watching <laughs> clips from tennis, like <laughs> yesterday on the sofa. And at the end of it... Did it, you feel refreshed? No, it? absolutely not. Right. It was one of those things. It was like a guilty pleasure that I was taking away from what I felt I should have been doing, which was something productive. Mm. And therefore, I kind of hated myself at the end of it. Yeah. Despite having now seen 10 of Roger Federer's best shots. Damn. I've got a life hack for you that's been do- working wonders for me this oh, week. Oh, yeah. The issue with all these life hacks is that there's diminishing returns. Like they work while they're still novel and then you kind of <laughs> I don't know, ignore them or whatever. Yep. The life hack is that I've told myself this, you know, I, I've like told myself that, look, I'm in full control of my life. I do whatever I want when I want. And that's the best way to live. I make the rules. And um, <laughs> hmm. then whenever I'm, you know, when I'm when I'm like doing something, I ask myself like, what do I really want to be doing right now? You know, and for example, like if I find myself like doom scrolling in bed in the morning or something, I've actually been pretty good about that this week. But if I find myself like just scrolling through social media at, at any point within like a minute or something, I'll catch myself doing that. And I think, hmm, what do I actually want to be doing right now? And then I will generally conclude that actually I don't want to be scrolling through social media right now. I might conclude that I don't, I don't fancy like doing causal stuff at the moment. Maybe I'll like, you know, do some reading or something. Or I might conclude that, no, I do actually want to, like, do this causal thing. It's pretty good. We've got a good thing going. Um, and then I'll, like, I'll kind of stop doing the social media thing because I know that if I'm, if I'm not, if I'm not doing, doing what I want to be doing, I'm the mug, you know? <laughs> like, I'm, you know, that, that's just stupid. <laughs> and so just, like, actively asking myself, like, what, what, do I, what do I, like, really want to be doing right now? 
it's almost it it's basically never scrolling through social media it's basically never like watching random youtube videos like if i want to be doing not work it'll be like hmm, i actually want to like i want to play like a bunch of like super smash bros you know or like i want to read this thing or, or whatever um and i find that's okay good. that's a good one because it's like scrolling through social media is just is the very bottom of the totem pole in terms of actual like actual things that are fun and relaxing right there's always i feel like there are multiple things you and i could be doing that are above that but it's just that it's so easy to just mm. get out and scroll through Instagram. yeah 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 i found that um the other day i happened to have my kindle just on like resting on the sofa and so instead of doom scrolling i just picked up the kindle and started reading nice. <laughs> and I, I felt really good at the end of that because i yeah. was like oh this is actually what i want to be doing i'm yeah, reading this book yeah. it's cool it's very interesting blah blah um so yeah cool i'll try that that's yeah. a good way of thinking about it what do i actually want to be doing right now yeah maybe you can milk a few videos out of that one i'm sure i can i'm sure angus will milk a few instagram clips out of this as well <laughs> <laughs> okay so um on to on to the today's topic actually the pre pre today's topic okay maybe we can milk two episodes out of this then <laughs> yeah let's see how long this goes i've been having actually first of all i had a great social interaction this week oh i had a friend over for dinner <laughs> who i never met before um okay and uh he was introduced to me by a guy i follow on twitter who also follows me so this this guy and i've been twitter mutuals for a few months time uh you know we like each other's tweets and stuff and he messaged me last week or something saying hey my friend is gonna you know is moving to london uh from the us i think you guys would enjoy hanging out it's like cool yeah let's do it and then so uh this week this this chap came over for dinner um i i won't i can't i yeah i can't slash won't give too many details but it <laughs> turned it out that he just, uh He'd just gotten out of prison. <laughs> he'd, been, he'd been in prison for the past three months. Not funny. Uh, and God. he'd, uh, yeah, he just had like very interesting stories about what that experience is actually like. Okay, so keep it PG. <laughs> no, it was, um, it was all, it was all fairly PG. Um, but yeah, very interesting chap. I'd been watching like prison documentaries to try and understand that world a bit. Um, and yeah, it was just very interesting to have someone who, on the face of it, you know, similar kind of background and similar, you know, whatever as, as, as me, you know, someone who I, I'd see as my tribe, um, yeah, doing some, doing some jail time. Okay. Why was that interesting? One of the interesting, the one of the interesting things was just how, like, how warped it seems on the inside. Like it's where like, you know, this, you know, things kick off over like the smallest incidents or like this, you know, this, the smallest slight would like kick off a, a, a race war inside the prison and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so I think that the bubble aspect of it seemed quite interesting. And when I was watching Louis three documentary about, about the same thing, um, this is also something Louis picked up on where he asked like the, the, the he asked like the inmates, like, you're really gonna, you're really gonna kill this guy over his, sh- over a shoe. <laughs> like, doesn't that seem a bit weird to you? <laughs> yeah. And, and Louis kind of weird. Doesn't that seem a bit weird to you? <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, just like the the bubble kind of nature of it, and it kind of reminded me a bit of the bubble nature of university, mm. where like the weirdest, bizarrest little things lead to like the you know like a huge that, deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, like damn, that Cecil Rhodes guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, wasn't that big a deal? And um, so that was one thing. I think another interesting thing was that he felt that uh, it felt like he'd actually bonded with some people and like made some real friends or whatever, but those friendships or alliances or whatever um could actually turn south turn sour really quickly and uh he kind of felt that it's it's actually very difficult to um really build deep meaningful bonds with people there because there's there's so much like distrust that even if like you think some guy's your closest mate or something you know the next day if you like say say one wrong thing or something that they, they might take offense at then like they'll just like you know turn on you kind of thing that was pretty interesting so how how violent was this guy's experience in prison no it wasn't especially violent i think he had i think he um he had a reasonable he time a, he was in a he got into prison sorry he was in a pretty cushy prison it wasn't a cushy prison there are actually from what i hear you know they're not, they're not called cushy prisons but yeah there are those kinds of places but this was a, it was like a, a prison prison he managed to mostly stay out of any conflicts there were a couple of a couple of like things um like that sort of kicked off but you know he, he mostly sort of stayed safe and he, he's not a big guy so you know he, um could have been could have been dangerous but yeah that, that was pretty interesting social interaction i had this week anyway the the, 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 sort of the real pre-topic thing was um i've had conversations with a few friends in the past week or two uh, about the whole workism stuff that we were talking to paul mm, about yeah same and i found um i found it's been quite interesting i think like i think one one sort of pattern that i've seen is that 
when when I'm having these conversations, uh, people tend to sort of assume that I'm saying all aspects. Well, actually, I think I think well, one big thing is like everyone seems to have a different definition of work, and so most people as uh, def- most people's default definition seems to be that work is basically anything apart from like sitting on the couch. You know, like uh, if if you know. If you're not basically doing nothing, you're doing work. For example, if you're like writing a blog, you're doing work. Recording this podcast is Yeah, work. this would be like work or whatever. Um, and so I think in these discussions, it's helpful to actually kind of define the terms a little bit because, well, I guess I just sort of assume that, yeah, I'm in my own bubble of, you know, re- reading about this stuff and thinking about this stuff where it seems to me that that's not a meaningful definition of work. Okay, so how are you so, defining work? Sorry? How are you defining work then? Because that's one thing I've actually been thinking about, like what is work? But I feel like I've, less in a kind of uh, semantic context and more in a con- in a uh, holistic kind of philosophical sense i think it's helpful to have some like money part of it mm. you know it's something that you're doing at least in in part in order to make money you know uh, i think that's important because it implies that and it implies a little bit of a lack of agency like you know you you know you need everyone broadly needs to make money somehow and so if you were thinking about you know what how would i most want to be spending my time you know you don't get to do that because you need to spend some of your time somehow making some money right mm. and so i think that's 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 a meaningful component of it like it's probably work is probably something that you are doing in part in order to make money so if you for example if you were to imagine your ideal life assuming money was no object and then look at your life uh assuming money is some kind of object yeah work is that difference between the two things yeah yeah. i'm not trying to lay down any hard boundaries here i'm more trying to just like uh approximate the space but yeah i think there's a money component uh i think there's a component of like yeah i think yeah i guess that's like the main thing maybe so this is what vicky robin says in the book your money or your life have you have you read this no i think you should like you would enjoy it especially now that you're into the workism stuff it's the framing of the book is more that it's like a sort of guide to personal finance but a lot of the comments that she makes at the start are very much about this workism stuff and her argument is that really the only thing that defines work is the fact that you're making money from it Uh, and that is therefore the definition of work is it's that thing that you're doing for the money and she says that she says that a lot of us like to define work in other ways like you know that thing that i get meaning from that thing that i get uh, social interaction from and that thing that gives me a challenge and intellectual challenge and whatnot and she says that you can get all of those things from non-work activities and therefore the thing that actually defines work is what are you doing to make money yeah to be honest i'd probably i disagree with that actually now that i think about it i think the the salient aspect of the money thing is that it comes back to the lack the lack of complete agency not the complete lack of agency, but the lack of complete agency. Like, you know, to, to some extent, you know, you have to do something to make money. And so it kind of narrows your options down. And so like, you know, you won't be like 100% doing a work thing completely out of choice. And I think there are also like non-monetary things that you still have to do out of, you know, j- that you're obligated to do, um, which will feel like work. And I think which, which... Like taking out the trash and stuff. Uh, depends how you view taking out the trash, but I'm thinking more like more significant things. Like, for example, let's say you have like a family member that's un- that's like really unwell, and you have to care for them for like many hours a day. Okay, that's I think that that would that would be reasonably considered work, and I think mm, okay. I think the reason for that is that is the lack of agency. Like, you know, you you basically have to do this thing, right? Um, so I, I'd I'd say like the oh the important would, uh, would raising kids feel like work because you have no. You, you, you haven't got a complete sense of agency there. It's the thing that you have to do. You're not getting paid for it. It yeah, feels similar uh, to the caring for family member example. Yeah, potentially, potentially. I but then I feel like we're muddling up. Defining work that broadly means that a lot of... I, I feel like, like, how can you make comments about, about the nature of work if you're including raising a family as Actually, yeah, being fair, work? Fair. Like, that's, okay, not, yeah. that's not what we're talking about when, when we're talking about a culture of workism. Like, people don't say, like, what do you do expecting? Like, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just not a thing. Man, my stupid kids, I'm like raising them all yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. Yeah. All right, yeah, I'm happy to narrow it down to the money thing. Okay. So, you've been, so you said you've been having chats with people about this. Yeah, so I think one, th- one thing that it's helpful to do in these chats is to kind of def- define what you mean by work. Mm. Uh, I think the other the other thing is that most people, and maybe this is just poor communication on my part, but most people seem to uh, seem to assume that what I'm trying to say is that all aspects of work are bad, and that we need to uh, sort of <laughs> abolish go, work. Abo- yeah, abolish <laughs> work. Defund work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, defund work. Exactly. Um, whereas what I'm really trying to say is that we just need like a cultural correction in the other direction of workism. Um, and so, you know, in these conversations, people will be like, well, you know, work has benefits, you know, there's like socializing gives you a sense of purpose, meaning, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, of course it does. It does all those things. And, and that's great. But I'm not trying to say it doesn't do those things. Um, so I found that 
Yeah, I mean, I guess this is like a... This, it's the kind of... Argumentation is the wrong word, but like, it's the kind of thing you might read online about like, oh, how to convince people. First, try and validate their position. And so I think maybe it's useful to start off by saying, you know, if you're trying to convince someone that this workism thing is an actual problem, start off by saying, look, work has work has some benefits. You know, it's, it's where we get some meaning, it, it passes the time, you know, makes some money. Like, you know, there's some pretty good things about work. But, you know, it's it's a bit weird. There's, there's like <laughs> this bad thing, you know, that kind of approach. Um so I, th- I think that's probably a better way to have these conversations. So what's your, have you, have you got like a list in your head of sort of bad things about work? No, that's the thing. I also haven't like properly uh, sort of condensed my, my actual thoughts and feelings about this. And so oftentimes when I'm trying to sort of, when I'm trying to talk to people about it, do you, you know, this like um, this sort of meme picture of this guy standing in front of a pin board, like looking kind of crazy. And then there's all these like this red thread leading to lots of different things. And yes, it's like, like, he's trying, like trying to explain it. <laughs> so like it's crazy conspiracy theory thing. I feel like when I haven't, when I have an idea that I feel strongly about, but I haven't like properly uh, ordered and arranged my thoughts about it. I feel a bit like that. Where I'm basically going like, you know, there's a work thing, man. Come on. There's, some, there's something wrong here. Can't you see it? <laughs> There's something wrong and I can't quite figure it out yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I really liked one of Paul's threads, which is about... <coughs> I really liked one of Paul's threads that I read in its entirety today, which was about the accidental meaning in life. Right. I guess, I'm, I'm sure you've come across this one. Um, but now this is something that I'm uh, sort of... I think when it comes to the, these, sorts of, these sorts of conversations, it's useful to have a few bits that you can call upon when you need to. And I think accidental meaning is a good bit. Have. that is nice yeah um so uh, for, for for our listeners um paul millard's theory about accidental meaning is that um the kind of boomer generation found their lives quite to be quite meaningful um and the boomer generation is also the the, the generation that was like you know stick to the, the same company work your way up over a 50-year period get promoted every 10 years along the way and you will live a happy life um and his main argument seem his his argument is that because of the way that society was structured at the time uh, and this is less the case now because of the way society was structured people found meaning in their lives um but this was accidental meaning not related to the work they found the meaning because firstly fewer people lived in cities more people lived in like small towns and suburbs and stuff secondly generally there was a stay-at-home parent thirdly generally both parents took an active role in the community Fourthly, community was like more of a thing. You would be friends with your neighbors. You'd go to your local church. Mm. All of these things, you, you know, you would get married. You would probably live in the same place for a long time. You would have some kids. You would attend the church. You would go to local events. You would join the school's committee, like whatever. Like whatever. All of these things would lead to you staying in one place, building up these connections, this community. And therefore, your life would have a sense of meaning because you've got, you know, you've got the relationship side, source, side sorted. And alongside, it just so happened that you were working at the same company, which mm. allowed all this to happen. Um and his point is that, therefore, the meaning came accidentally based on a result of how society was structured. Yeah, it wasn't actually a bad setup back then. Yeah, whereas nowadays, you could be doing the sort of working working your career, working the corporate ladder, corporate ladder like whatever you want to do. But you actually have to think a lot harder about getting the meaning in your life. Mm. Because nowadays, we are less concerned about living in the suburbs and sort of getting in touch with our local community. We're less concerned about one of the parents always being at home to look after the kids and to build a community. We're less concerned about going to church and local community events. We, You know, you and I hardly know who the hell our neighbors are Mm. which was i think unheard of like 50 years ago so now it's not a case of you work your way up the corporate ladder and your life just happens to be meaningful it's more a case of fine do what you want for work but recognize that you have to put effort in to find meaning yeah yeah that's great stuff i back that that's a pretty good summary of the thread did you just come up with that yeah man (laughs) wow um i phrased it once some some girl interviewed me for a book that she's writing about four hours ago oh um, and she asked me something about work and I was, I sort of spieled the, oh, <laughs> the, nice. the accidental meaning thing. So I nice. feel like the, the fact that I've talked, talked about uh, it once, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Kind of helps yeah, the yeah, subsequent sure. retellings of the story. Did you give Paul credit? <laughs> Are you taking a claim on accidental meaning? Uh, no, I did not give Paul credit in the interview, but he has credit in this podcast. <laughs> oh, nice. the, the, that's another thing that, you, you know, like to what extent do you, um, cite your sources? When, when, when talking about ideas hmm. i think in general probably the policy is to cite less rather than cite more whose policy uh this is derek Siver's policy it's also kind of my policy okay um like if you're i think it, it kind of depends on the context in a, in a long form podcast like this it makes sense to cite the source mm. in a half an hour interview where yeah, someone's interviewing you for their yeah. book to try and find out stuff about your life yeah you don't yeah. you don't want to what's the book um it's something about how underdogs can achieve success or something. <laughs> something like that i i i, I looked, had she looked at your shop man man this guy it's loser. Yeah. 
<laughs> How did he do it? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's some college student in America who's like writing a book on the side and is trying to interview uh, ostensibly successful people who have come from like less traditional backgrounds. I don't know what's a non-traditional background, right, background yeah, yeah. which is a point that I'm a bit like, I was like, look, man, <laughs> I don't consider myself an underdog in the slightest. Yeah. I've had, had the privilege is stacked up in my favor. Um, but yeah, good stuff. So yeah, I've been having these work conversations. It seems like you have as well. Uh, it seems like thoughts need to be condensed um, and organized in order to... Yeah, I need some evergreen notes re- about recruit. Work. Yeah, yeah, recruit more people. I found this evergreen notes thing is actually pretty legit. Like, uh, how how familiar are you with the evergreen notes vibe? Is this Andy Matushek's post about it? Uh, yeah, and kind of the uh, equivalent thing of the Zettelkasten method, Lumen's uh, yeah, step I, have, I haven't read that. I, I know all these words. I haven't okay. read any of them. <laughs> okay, no, fair enough. Uh, but basically, the idea behind evergreen notes is, um, my at least my understanding of it, is that when you're taking notes from a source, you want to take literature notes, like, you know, notes from the thing, but then you want to convert those into evergreen notes. And an evergreen note would be a note that makes a single point. So for example, around the whole work thing, one of my evergreen notes is that work is synonymous with misery. Mm. Um, and I would tag that as an evergreen note. And I would say, okay, this is the sort, you know, so write up in my own words, you know, work is synonymous with misery because yeah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And yeah. then say source like Naval, this podcast so thingy. That's like the hooks for your bits that you then rattle off. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so then in my kind of general uh, index system, I have kind of the topic of work. And one of my links underneath that is work is synonymous, synonymous with, with, with misery. Mm. Another one underneath that for me. How do we decide what to do for work? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that, that that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I think that's a good way of like I, at least i found it to be a good way of uh, finding bits to hang my hang my thinking off of yeah that sounds great yeah i think that's probably how i make notes um anyway but yeah that's good stuff okay just to um to yeah, this will be a brief like real topic but i've started doing more digging into yeah you, know, you know how i've like gone on sort of <laughs> you know crazy person style rants of like man we're not we don't really mean to kids kind of thing <laughs> yeah you're a big fan of the children <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've I've been doing some digging into there. This was actually sparked by uh, a podcast listener emailed in with uh, a, a PDF recommendation. Uh, f- uh, this listener, uh, I don't know if it's a, yeah, I don't know how they identify, but they uh, emailed this thing. Let me just get it up. So this is um, this is the newsletter of the American Philosophical Association and it's the feminism and philosophy section of the newsletter it's for spring 2020 and there's a phenomenal essay uh, called Taking Children's Autonomy Seriously as a Parent by Quill Rebecca Cuckler I think I'm probably butchering that Um, and this was I read this a week ago I read this on Sunday it was like the highlight of I don't know what it was like amazing to read this it, it validated all these things that I was sort of vaguely thinking and couldn't quite put my finger on and you kind of saying you know I remember you made some sneering comment last time I went off on one about this you're like wait no arguably we take children too seriously you have all these people all these kids saying they're always stressed at school and stuff and surely we shouldn't be listening to them or something um, you made some kind of comment like that and um, <laughs> thank you <laughs> Yeah, so like, it just validated lots of things for me. Let me give you uh, a summary of the essay. Okay, so we've been going for 36 minutes so far. Are you sure you don't want to do it? No, no, I I haven't gone too deep on this yet. This is... This is a preliminary. This is a preliminary. a teaser, if you will. Basically, uh, the way I'm thinking about this is that I need, you know, I I need to, like, figure out the best way to, you know, structure this manifesto to get more people recruited for this cause. And similar to, like, the work thing, right? And so I think there's there's a few entry points that i think could be reasonable and i think this this essay is a is a really good start um so uh quill she she makes a few points uh in the essay about like why we actually treat children very immorally um and i i I think one one caveat when having i think one useful caveat in the workism discussions is that people sometimes like assume that i'm you know i'm trying to say like the 95 is bad for everyone you know nobody should have a day job you know i'm not trying to say any of those things i'm just trying to say that you know we should have a different mindset when we think about these things and similarly with this children's stuff you know one way to misinterpret what i'm trying to say is to think i'm trying to be prescriptive about like you should treat your child this way or like people should treat their children this way i'm not trying to say that i'm trying to say that we should have a different mindset when we think about children and you know for some people you know there might be no tangible difference between how they actually treat their kids, even if they have this different mindset. Well, I think the different mindset is is an important starting point, right? And so one way in which we 
don't really treat children as, as people is, you know, when we normally think about groups of people, there are some like ground level rules that we, you know, recognize for like, this is how you should treat people, you know? Um, for example, it would be ridiculous and it would be unacceptable to say something like, I don't like Hispanics or I don't like lesbians. It would be very unacceptable to say that in, you know, nowadays. But saying something like, I don't like kids, it's a pretty acceptable thing to say. Uh, yeah. You probably get people saying, oh my God, man, they're the worst. I hate them. Like, these are, these are human beings. Imagine saying that about any other group of people, hmm. you know? It would be, be ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, that's that's pretty weird, right? That that kind of suggests that we're, we're thinking about this in a in an unusual way. We also discount the testimony of children more so than we should. We also do weird things like just gaslighting them, straight up lying to them about like, hey man, this like Santa Claus guy gives you your presents every year. There's this, there's this tooth fairy. And then we think it's, cu- it's cute when they when they believe our lies. This would, again, be a very weird thing to do to other groups of people. Um, another another major sort of difference is that we, we restrict where they can go and kind of what they can do to a much greater extent than we, you know, would even think about restricting um, other people's lives. You know, we decide, you know, which hobbies we think uh, the, the kids should have. We decide, you know, uh, which relatives the kids should hug, you know, or go give so-and-so a hug and a kiss or whatever. Like, pretty weird, you know, imagine imagine trying to, <laughs> trying to control that with with like someone you consider an actual person. That would be bizarre. Um, and Quill says that you know children's autonomy rights autonomy rights is a phrase that she uses are as strong and central to their flourishing as anyone else's. And one of our sort of core moral tasks as a you know this is from the perspective of a parent. She's a parent. One of our core moral tasks is to enhance and protect their auto- autonomy as much as possible. Um, and there are lots of weird cultural cultural norms for parenting that push us against this like you're almost seen as a good parent if you are being more restrictive to your kids we associate good parenting with some level of oppression of like you know oh man like you're sending them to hockey class and kumon and all this kind of stuff you're man great parent you know you've got them under lock and key good for you Uh, that's again very weird thing if you consider any other group of people right um and she says that there are two underlying ideologies at work here. The first is that we we kind of see children as not full people. We don't see them as full people. We don't grant them like the same level of personhood that we would grant basically anyone else. Sure. Um, and Quill says that this is not really valid. Like, you know, the reason, for example, you know, why do you think if you were trying to justify why it's reasonable to treat children as not full people, why, what reason might you give? Uh, they're young. The brain's not fully developed. They haven't got the capacity to make correct decisions. They're impulsive. Um, therefore, given that I have the best interests at heart, I would treat them in a way um, that I would treat a patient who lacks capacity. I would act in their best interests because it's what's best for them, even though they don't know it. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you're kind of getting, getting at this idea that they're not like independent, like, you know, they're not, they're not fully independent. And Quill says, look, this doesn't really make sense. Independence is not like a requirement for what she calls moral personhood. You know, um, if you think about like what constitutes a person independence is not really one of those things because if you think about it we all you know our dependency on other people like fluctuates constantly in different domains and different ways across our lives and the moral ideal that we should you know try and reach is that we we kind of you know for people who are dependent in some way in some part of their life we should you know support them while trying to let them maximize their autonomy as much as possible. Oh yeah, this so, is like a huge thing in medicine, uh, in, right. like in like care of the elderly. Yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. How do you how do you how do you a recognize that the person is dependent in some way, and how do you sort of treat the circumstances in a way that maximizes their autonomy? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I was about to give that example. Like, if you have an elderly person who is now kind of dependent on other people to care for them, your mindset is not like, all right, this person is dependent. I I own them. I decide everything about them. You know, this kind of your mindset is okay. This this is this is a human being. You know, they're, they're dependent on me in certain ways and, you know, I will, I will sort of help them as and when required. But as far as possible, I would like to give them as much autonomy as I can, right? It's just a very different mindset. And so this thing of like children aren't full people because they're dependent, we don't really apply the same standard to, uh, for example, elderly people who are in many ways equally dependent uh, as children right um and there's a there's a good book which uh quill suggests which i've i've read through um i feel like it's called holding and letting go and there's a quote from that book which is that our moral task is to hold others in personhood when they are vulnerable and dependent not to co-opt their personhood so we want to like you know hold on to their personhood 
rather than like taking over it kind of thing um so that's one thing what one like weird ideology is like children aren't full people and so it's justifiable to treat them in this way right the other ideology and this is this is messed up the other ideology is is I mean, it's basically object- objectification, right? It it it's um it kind of frames things as like children are like this product, and it's the parents' responsibility to create you know the best kind of product or a specific kind of product, you know. Um, and you, you know, she she says that this ties into like uh, the stuff we see around like productivity culture. We kind of see you know see kids as this thing that needs to be crafted in a particular way, and we try and like measure how well we've crafted them, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's and children are this like weird moral space where we are happy to justify whatever means as long as it gets to us to a good end Mm. which is like some final result where we can judge the quality of the result and something and so you know when when you hear people talking about oh you know should should teachers and parents be allowed to beat their kids or whatever you know the, the kinds of arguments that you hear are like well actually if you look at the research you know, if you beat your kids, they end up worse or something. Like, it's very, like, means to an ends argument. And, you know, if, if you were to consider, like, you know, sh- sh- <laughs> should we be physically abusing, you know, X, X group of people? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you know, the argument most people will go to is, no, that's immoral. And we, we've collectively decided we should not physically abuse people. The argument when it comes to kids is, like, you know, s- screw their, like, uh, sort of um, status as part of the moral community but like it actually leads to them becoming worse final products and so we that's why we shouldn't beat people that's weird right that's like a a weird way to think about a person Mm. um and again like arguments even something that's arguably less extreme than corporal punishment you hear arguments against like tiger parents and helicopter parents you know they're basically control their kids you know make them do all these things and keep them under lock and key the arguments are not that this is a weird and immoral thing to do to another human being the arguments are that well if you know if, if you look at the stats it actually is bad for the children it doesn't foster creativity blah 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 and it's just a weird way of looking at it right so i think these these two ideologies the first of like children aren't full people and so it's justifiable to treat them in this way and the second of like children are basically objects uh, the, it's a parent's responsibility to kind of uh, craft them in, in, into some final result that the parent or other people can uh, then evaluate. Mm. All right, so those are two pretty weird things. Uh, any any thoughts on those before I make a few more points? No, that all makes sense. Yeah. Uh, as in like, so I've, I have token objections that come up in my mind when you're saying these things, but they're all like very token. What do you mean? As in, you know, when you're saying that, oh, well, um, it's like that part of me that's, essentially accepts the status quo and is trying to come up with random arguments to uh, attempt to argue against what you're saying so when you're like well we should give kids more autonomy then i'm thinking yeah but you know sometimes you know i'm not going to give a kid autonomy to just cross the road for no reason uh, and right and and yes yeah. this comes back to my initial point that's yeah why and your I made point this is point. it's a mindset Look, shift I'm, I'm, a I'm saying mindset you might yeah. still conclude that i shouldn't let my kid run in front of a car you probably should conclude that (laughs) but it's a different mindset right that we need um the other another point she makes which is quite interesting is that usually when we think about power dynamics you know when whenever there's a position in in which one party has uh sort of an extreme amount of power over another we think about it very cautiously so you know relationships in the workplace between like a manager and their direct reports we think oh man this is you know this is dangerous territory there's a power dynamic we want to be cautious about this you know phd supervisors and their students you know the supervisor doesn't want to be too paternalistic about like telling their students exactly what they should be doing and stuff um because it's down to the student right um and so usually when there's a, a strong power dynamic we are cautious to try and be careful not to abuse that power but when it comes to the power that parents have over children like there's no thought given to it at all it's like it, it almost you know feels like it, it feels like some sometimes we we see things as like children being owned by the parents and like this power dynamic is right and just and and, mm. and you know all is well whereas there's very obviously like a clear danger of uh abuse of that power you know uh so i think that that's um yeah it's an interesting point by that um and yeah there's like a, a few other like minor points um she names this thing called the minimum invasion principle whereas like you know you should only kind of invade people in order to stop them from harming themselves or from harming other people and stuff and so this is kind of what what we were saying about like you want to give someone maximum autonomy while still mm-hmm. taking care of their needs and, and things yeah i mean I, I've, I've often wondered about things like this because obviously everyone would conclude uh that you know i want to stop my kid from crossing the road because then he's, he's, otherwise he's going to die i think that's a pretty 
un, in, yeah. uncontroversial thing to say. But for example, when it comes to, I'm going to make my kid pray five times a day because then he's less likely to go to hell. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 think, think I think this, yeah, I think... I think this author would definitely think that's bad. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, she basically says that, you know, of course we want our kids to turn out like good and happy who contribute to society. We want them to share our values, but crucially we're like, we, we, we can't coerce them into doing all these things that we try and co- coerce them into doing. And so, yeah, I think like, I think she makes lots of very good points. I'm totally on board. I think that the two things that, I mean, uh, that might be what, what one issue with this, uh, with what she's saying is that, her whole thing is predicated on this idea that like individual autonomy and independence is like a really important sort of thing. Mm, yeah. I think that's, um, that's quite a, a modern view on things. Uh, I, I like broadly agree with it, you know, but you know, I, I think you might take issue with like, uh, the, you know, the author holding like individual autonomy as like a, as like an aim, yeah. you know, that, if you, if you take issue with that, you you can reasonably take issue with with the rest of this thing, yep. and you might take issue with that, uh, particularly if you your framework for living um, comes from something like a religion, mm. where you believe uh, that you know this is the best way to live your life because it says so in the Quran and in the Bible, whatever. Um, and it, you know, predicated on you know, assuming that that is the best way to live your life, you probably should get your kids to pray five times a day, go to church, whatever you know. That's probably the right thing to do if you if you truly believe hmm. um, believe in that stuff. So yeah, one issue is that like is is like individual autonomy actually like the most important thing. Yeah, th- this is something that we're going to talk a lot more about in our upcoming episode about the righteous mind, mm. uh, which kind of breaks down the six taste buds of morality uh, and talks about how essentially people on the left only really look at like well he says three of them but really people on the left focus very much on the um care harm foundation as you know what what is is this thing harming people and the liberty oppression foundation like you know is uh, are oppressed minorities being taken care of right whereas people on the right kind of the conservative people would view actually use use all all six moral taste receptors um the others being respect for authority um, the principle of sanctity and and like a few others and right. sort of you can see how people of that kind of leaning would say actually this idea that everyone deserves autonomy being like a fundamental like mm. the most important thing the, yeah. the north star is actually flawed right and it's equally important to respect sanctity and authority and to yep. you know have stuff for the good of society so that could be kind of where this falls down yeah yeah and i think that's yeah, pretty defensible um so yeah i think that is one issue with this uh another and this isn't an issue with this and this speaks more to the like the tangible okay how should i treat my kid versus like what's the right mindset i think like when it comes to mindset stuff then, you know all these points are very good um but basically i think one one big purpose of parenting is to help children make decisions that are in their long-term best interests hmm. uh, which the child might not be able to foresee or appreciate in the present you know and so like when it comes down to a lot of the things of like you know how much should i restrict my child's movements and things like that it you know i imagine any most justifications for doing these things will be like well it's in the child's long-term best interests that they you know go to this hockey lesson and blah 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 yeah. blah and yeah i think i think that's fair but i think it's a double-edged sword. i think there are a lot of like intellectual maybe intellectual is the wrong word there are a lot of trap holes you can fall into where you feel like uh, you actually have a, uh, a you can actually evaluate well what the long term benefit of things are, and so you know a lot of parents might um, you know promote their kids into like doing going down like the standard path of like you know study this this thing and you know go work at this kind of company because uh, you know it'll give you like a stable job that kind of stuff. Um, I think there's there's a danger where you know the parent might actually not be in a good position to judge you know. What what's going to be a good economic move 30 years from now uh stuff like that and then i think there's also like another trap hole uh that you can kind of fall into is kind of pandering to your own comfort like pandering to uh, optics that make you feel good and i think this is an, i haven't made a note about this in my room but i think this is an example that uh that she gives which is that you know a lot of parents restrict the movement of their daughters far more than they restrict the movement of their sons mm. um especially like you know going out at night and things like that uh and you know if you ask them you know why are you doing that the first sort of justification is going to be well it's not safe you know who knows what's going to happen all this kind of stuff you know the author author of the essay says that well actually 
if you look at the numbers, any you know, all these dangers that you think there are when your daughter goes out at night are far more prevalent at school, in the workplace, blah blah blah. So like, if if you if you think that's a real reason, then it, you're not really justified because then you keep them basically locked up all the time. Um, and then the parent might say, "Oh, okay, fine, that might be true, but you know, I just." I'd just be more comfortable knowing that she's not out there in the dark or whatever. <laughs> and uh, the author says that this is like, this is not really justifiable. Like your personal comfort, you know, does not trump like, you know, <laughs> another human being's kind of liberty, basically. It comes it comes back, to, it's basically like an optics thing. The whole thing about like peeing in the sink, again, it's like a personal comfort thing of like, oh, that's that like looks icky or whatever. It's the same thing. Oh, you know, looks kind of, you know, it feels kind of weird if my daughter's like, out alone at night or something um and yeah so i think the the sort of pandering to your own comfort and and your own sort of weird optics is another potential trap door that might make you make bad decisions when you are deciding like tangibly what restrictions should i impose on my child yeah um I'll so that. that was um yeah that was great stuff man um and i think yeah i think when having these conversations with people i think i really need to stress the sort of mindset versus you know actual practice thing uh, because like yeah even even after i told you that the thoughts that were still going through your head yeah you felt like we're more, it was like actual practice yeah, stuff. Exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so i think that's going to be really important when uh when trying to recruit people for this cause um so that was one thing so like, I, i'm very early on this journey if any more listeners have really inter- very interesting recommendations uh please send them my way this is great stuff this is like this is like my favorite thing right now uh another just you know while we're on the topic a couple of months ago i listened to a good podcast episode oh, are you kidding me i didn't make notes about it. well looks like i didn't make notes <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks everyone for listening <laughs> uh should we <coughs> my god should we end by reading a review uh yeah my phone is out of action because it's filming you okay are you like more convinced of what i was trying to say before now like the this is a serious issue, right? This is a big deal, this kid stuff. Yeah, I think I've never previously appreciated just how weird it is <laughs> that we think about kids these way, in, this, in this way. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting idea. Do you think you will try and recruit people towards the cause once I have more of a manifesto? Once you have more of a, of a manifesto, sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But I think also... I think, I think also... It's, so, one thing I, I didn't like about the way that you're phrasing this stuff, and this is most likely just a function of the fact that you're just getting into this, is, for example, this discomfort, you know, if I, if, if I were a dad and my daughter's in some, I don't know, nightclub or something, and I have like a, you know, a, a discomfort with that idea, um, I think it's it feels dissatisfying to say, for, for me to say that it's just a weird comfort thing. Like, I think it's important to understand that this comes from a background of stuff and understanding the stuff that that particular discomfort comes from. Sort of being able to understand the parts before yeah. writing it as kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Which I, I get as, you know, because you haven't, you haven't explored much about this topic yet. Yep, I'm, uh, I'm on board. All right, this, uh, this week's review right, comes I'm from... Gonna, I want to read the review. Oh, Because okay. then we can put the clip, because you've had a few review clips. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> wow. Oh, right, we have a review uh, from Marty Serrano from the united states of america uh it's titled 11 out of 10 worth catching up to so he, he or she says i started listening to you guys three weeks ago and just finished listening to your principles of productivity episode <laughs> i relate when people say your podcast has changed our lives but mostly because i find that the ideas or concepts you guys discuss are things i've thought about but haven't been able to properly articulate or solidify I love the balance between banter and insight that comes with each episode, and I look forward to finally finishing the backlog of episodes I have yet to listen to. Just want to thank you guys, for too, for recommending The Courage to be Disliked. It's been a great read and super helpful with my social anxiety. Stay safe. Thank you very much, Marty. That's a lovely review. And if anyone's uh, listening to this or watching this on the gram, check out our podcast at notoverthinking.com. Good stuff. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye-bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have have your voice played publicly that's fine as well tweet or dm us at n overthinking on twitter please thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time